Okay, hey, we're ready to go. Thanks everybody for coming in, and uh, we're thrilled to have you. I, what, did, what did we call this? I think fundamentalism, past, present, and future, something like that? Okay, so what, what we're calling it um, is uh, three lines in the sand, type ABC fundamentalism. I actually changed the title, but when I changed the title, it was already too late. They'd already printed off the material, and that's actually okay. So my name is Joel, this is my wife Tony, and uh, we have three sons, Jonathan, Jeremy, and Joshua. The oldest two are married, we're now grandparents, so that's a, that's a lot of fun. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn over to Luke chapter 10, verse 20. I wanted us to just start off with uh, just kind of a devotional thought as it relates to the topic. Um, I, uh, thanks for being here. I actually wrote 60 to 70 pages in preparation for this morning, and actually I'm writing a book, and so what I did was I took the 60 or 70 pages and I boiled it, boiled it down to 23, and uh, and so I hope that that could be a, I hope it could be a health encouragement to you. Um, if any of you want it, just send me your email and I'll send you an electronic copy of the 23 pages, and frankly... I'll send you a copy of everything I have uh, on the topic, and uh, so I'm happy to interact with any of you, and uh, that'll be a blessing. Luke chapter, whoever has Luke 10 20, you want to read it, somebody read it for me, would you? Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. I love this passage. I think it's appropriate. I think... uh, I think as historic fundamentalists, I think we get, uh, it's easy to get sidetracked with, look at how important we are, look at how careful we are, look at what we believe in, and, uh, oh, look look how God has used us. IFCA, you've been around for, Gary, 97 years, right? So, I mean, you look at us, and then, um, uh, you know, we have... Guard, which was the Baptist Bible Union, uh, Fundamental Baptist Fellowship. Before that was the Fundamentalist Fellowship, and then in the fifties they became the CBA, uh, CBF, and then they broke off in '67 to be the own. So our kind of groups, our groups to go back. I mean, it's easy for our kind of people to say, "Well, look at us," and kind of thump ourselves on the chest. I think Jesus, so if you remember the context, um, Jesus comes back, actually the disciples come back after being sent out two by two, and they're very excited. you remember why they were excited? Casting out demons, people are being healed, lives are being changed. They're very excited. Oh, look what we're doing. <laughs> and what does Jesus say in this passage? Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's good. But you know what's really good? Is your name's written in the book of life. And uh, I think that's just so good. Because uh, this sort of a discussion on fundamentalism, it can be, if we're not very careful, it can be, oh, look at us, aren't we great? You know, that's just pathetic, really. Because it's not us who are great, it's God who is great, and Jesus who is great. And anything that we have has been given to us, paid by the blood of Christ, and so we are merely to be good stewards of what God um, has given us. Yeah. Bob, would you lead us in prayer this morning? Maybe we start. 
Well, we're grateful for uh, the night's rest. We thank you for another fresh day that you've given to us. Lord, we'd ask uh, today that our hearts would be quiet for you, that we would uh, be mindful of your work and our hearts. Thank you for your joy and pray we might speak to him. We might learn today the things that we can carry on. We thank you that you have been clear in the truths of the scriptures. Lord, we want to be humble in knowing that we, your servants, uh, are to be used. Uh, and so we just thank you for the time together to pray for each one here, that our minds would be sharp to hear what you have to say in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Just by way of introduction, before we jump into this, I want to just uh, start off by saying, um, as we think about fundamentalism, the heritage of fundamentalism, um, I really want us to, and by the way, my goal is to try to be done like five minutes early. I don't know if that's going to happen. I'm going to try to be done five minutes early so that we have time. If I can be done ten minutes early, that would be amazing. Then we can have time for Q&A. I mean, that would be remarkable to pull that off. So I'm, there's no way I'm going to read to you. I'm not going to lecture 23 pages in 15 minutes. We are not going to do that. So I'm just going to skip around. And you have the notes. And uh, we're going to assume that you have the ability to read. And, uh, and so if I don't cover something, it's happy, happy for you to kind of interact. But as we talk about type ABC fundamentalism, we're talking about three different mindsets or moves within uh, historic fundamentalism. So let me just give you a quick definition of my taxonomy. The type A fundamentalism, that's uh, a little bit later in the study you're going to find. We talk about type A. That's, those are fundamentalists who are very much, uh, they believe in first level separation, second, what they call secondary separation. Either you are a fundamentalist or you are a new evangelical. The world is in two camps. You're either with us or you're against us. There tends to be a pretty heavy emphasis on external standards. Uh, uh, and don't, by the way, it, it, so I'm not a type A fundamentalist, but as I interact with this, you need to understand I have a deep love and compassion in my heart for all three groups of fundamentalists. I'm not, I'm not trying to kick anybody in the shin as, I, as we have this discussion. Uh, there's a sense in which I understand there will be times when type A fundamentalists would say, you know what, we're just going to hang together as type A and we're not going to interact with anybody else. And, and I, I understand that. And there's a sense in which that's okay and then that's not a problem. There are going to be times when type B will just be together. Type C will be together with type C's. But honestly, my hope is there will be an ability for there to be occasions when Type A, B, and C can, can work together, at least in some context. So, type B fundamentals would be like the speaker who grew up in type A fundamentalism, but actually, uh, at an early age, came to the realization, I actually had more in common with many militant, conservative evangelicals who never used the term fundamentalist. I actually had more in common with them than I knew some of the people that grew up as fundamentalists. So that makes me a type B fundamentalist. Type C fundamentalists are these conservative evangelicals, and it's a broad group. Type C are you know conservative evangelicals who are not ecumenical, and uh, frankly, 
some of them have much in common with us theologically, even philosophically. And, uh, and, and so those are kind of the three groups. And type B, like myself, so type A fundamentalism, we kind of, when I think about type A, a couple of terms that come to mind is cultural fundamentalism, movement fundamentalism, they often will call themselves militant fundamentalists. Type C fundamentalists, they don't even like the word fundamentalist because they, they're afraid of that term or they don't like that term because, frankly, the type A. And then there's another group called type A+. That would be the King James only, the, you know, the very strong, uh, kind of a pastoral dictatorship approach. And uh, oftentimes, type C fundamentalists, they... If they stay away from the term fundamentalist altogether, in large part because they don't they they don't appreciate type A fundamentalism. So type A movement fundamentalist, militant uh, uh, cultural fundamentalism, type C fundamentalism. These guys would be fundamentalist in the sense of they are historic fundamentalists. So they uh, they call themselves historic fundamentalists. Well, what's a type B? Eh, in all honesty, I'm kind of a combination of both. I probably those of us that are type B, we probably still have some trappings of cultural fundamentalism in the sense that you know we grew up with a lot of things that we just are not we're not going to let go, like a commitment to holiness, an understanding of separation, uh, an appreciation for evangelism, a high commitment to missions, uh, a uh, a Type A fundamentalists were really committed to God's Word. They were committed to Bible study, Bible memory, uh, going back a hundred years, which I do, uh, the, the Bible prophecy conferences, they were they were kind of in all of that. So in a, in a snapshot, just a, a quick overview, that's type A, B, C fundamentalism, and I have exploded all of that in your packet. So if you're suffering from amnesia or suffering from insomnia, feel free to read through that. It should uh, just uh, you'll be able to pass right out and you kind of go over some of those details. Now, let me just say why I was motivated to do this work, and God willing, I'm going to try to finish the book here in the next month or two. The congregation that I lead is Southeast Valley Bible Church in Gilbert, Arizona. My son is a uh, assistant pastor on staff. He'll be, God willing, he'll be the next lead pastor. The church has given, I've been there, Tony and I have been there 24 years. Did I see that right? Okay. 24, 24 and a half years? Yeah. That's crazy. Okay. We've <laughs> been there 24 and a half years, and they're giving us a four months about it. Wow. And so I don't go back into the pulpit until September 10th. Hallelujah. <laughs> and so I'm, uh, I'm able to, I'm trying to finish up, I'm finishing up. I finished up a book. It's a response to Hebrew root Sabbatarianism. There's a half a million evangelicals that are giving up on church. They're meeting for Friday night Shabbat to eat burnt lamb. They're going back to Moses. And they're accusing the rest of us of violating the law of God because we worship on Sunday. And so I wrote a book. It was actually my THM thesis. I wrote a response to say, no, we're not violating the law of God. Oh, oh if you go back to Moses, you have to go back to all of Moses. All 613 rules you got to, and you got to find a Levite, and I don't count. If you don't have a Levite, I'm not going to be your Levite. If you, if you don't have a Levite, that's one third of the law that you can't do. So here, so I'm, I'm finishing, trying to get that published, and then I'm writing this, this type ABC fundamentalism. 
Why am I motivated to have this discussion? I'm motivated because too often there's a lot of argument and rancor between type A, B, and C fundamentalism. Okay, let me back up. There's a lot of rancor in each one of our little groups. Let me talk about our group. I love the IFCA. But let me, so, let me just show you how this... There's this ping-pong ball effect in church history between unity and diversity. We're trying to figure out all the time. Let me show you. So this is Joel. And here's what I know. I'm going to give you mine. And I know that if I was to ask you to come up and put this in the order... Your ordus imperatus. I know that your order would be different than mine. Okay? Not odor, but order. <laughs> I think a lot of us showered, so I think it's okay. So, I, for me, it starts off with being a Christian. Right? And, frankly, it starts off with Christ. So, Christ, and then Christian. And then, the next ordus salutis, or ordus imperatus, would be, I'm excited to be a historic evangelical. And then after that, I'm excited to be a fundamentalist. But not just any kind of a fundamentalist. A watch. A big tent universal church fundamentalist. Okay? So I am a big tent universal church fundamentalist. As opposed to a different kind of fundamentalist that we can talk about offline. Um, okay, after that, I'm com- I am, uh, my next ordus imperatus would be, I am a Baptist. I'm a Baptist of the English, now I pastor a Bible church, but I am a Baptist. Uh, I'm a Baptist in my understanding of, and if you care to know, the three of you that care to know, I'm actually a Baptist of the English separatist descent kind of a Baptist. So I'm not really excited about landmarkism at all. That's just really bad theology to think that only John, the, well, it was John the Baptist, not John the Methodist. That's what they say. Mm-hmm. And so those guys think you can find, you got to go all the way, you got to trace your one that system there. So, so the English separatist descent theory is uh, now. I do, I do find, I do find commonality between uh, various Anabaptists. So there are, I do believe in a kind of uh, Anabaptist kinship theory. But having said that, so after. So Christian, evangelical, fundamentalist, Baptist, and then I'm a premillennialist. I'm excited about my premillennialism. And then after that, I am a dispensational guy. I'm a, I'm a combination of dispensational and progressive dispensational. I've got both classic dispensationalism as well as some progressive. And then the next is... Southeast Valley Bible Church, where I pastor. And then after that is the IFCA. Now, what I know is, if I was to go around the room and ask you to put up your Ordus Imperatus, your list would be different than mine, many of you. Many of you would put IFCA closer up here. Many of you would put your dispensationalism. And get a load of this. Just, and then this one right here. I mean, we have some diversity. I don't know if you know this, uh, when we heard from Gary last night, I heard, uh, Gary, I, I'm not going to peg you, my, many of the guys that were influenced by Dallas Theological Seminary uh, have uh, a certain subset of dispensational views 
And then some of us come from more what I'll call the Grace Seminary subset of dispensationalism. And actually, there are some distinctions. And actually, you had Dallas, you had Dallas Seminary dispensationalism, and then later you had Grace Seminary dispensationalism, and then after that you had a new Dallas dispensationalism. And so there's actually diversity within our dispensationalism. Like, not all dispensationalists believe in the same number of dispensations. We don't all agree with how... So there's a variety of things that come up here. Uh, so, like, within dispensationalism, there's a discussion as what is the relationship of the Old Testament saint and the Holy Spirit? Exactly what relationship was there? There's diversity. It, depending on what school subset of school that you were influenced as a as a dispensationalist, you're going to see that differently. Uh, the relationship of the church with the kingdom. Uh, you have, uh, frankly, what, was there one new covenant or was there two new covenants? I I firmly believe that there's one new covenant for both the church and Israel. One is experienced soteriologically. One is experienced uh, eschatologically. There's one new covenant. But some dispensationalists believe in two new covenants. All I'm saying is there's diversity even within dispensationalism. And so uh, my, my, my encouragement is, is that both in the IFCA and in other orbs of... We have to realize this. Uh, in some in some groups that, that share our commitment to the fundamentals of the faith, they're not dispensational at all. And so, see, here's the thing: when I, when IFCA came to four ninety-seven years ago, what you had in the world of hermeneutics was essentially you had dispensationalism and you had covenant theology. Since then, guess what we have now? You got dispensationalism, two or three or four types of dispensationalism. Then you have progressive dispensationalism. Then you have covenant theology. Then you have new covenant theology. Now you got progressive covenantalism. So it used to be, 97 years ago, we were sharing the pie with like two schools of thought. Now you, now you have six schools of thought. At least five or six different schools of thought within the world of hermeneutics. So I'm just simply saying, uh, you know, the landscape has changed in a variety of ways. So at ISCA, in all the groups, we're trying to do we're trying to do two things at once. We're trying to hold on to what is our heritage. Like what are some of the things we're not going to give up? Well, as fundamentalists, what are the things we're not going to give up? We're not going to give up orthodoxy, right? We're not going to give up uh, a commitment to uh, you can use the word militancy, you can use the word separation. And I realize separation for a historic fundamentalist, that might mean that you're leaving a group. It might mean that you're staying in and contending for the faith. Right? What about dispensationalism? What are we not going to give up on? Well, I go back to Ryrie. You remember the, you remember the sine qua non of, of dispensationalism? We're not giving up on the law church distinction. We're not giving up on the, help me out, Church Israel. Right? Uh, we're not giving up on... I'm sorry, hermeneutics, our literal grammatical hermeneutics. And Reynolds Showers, he, he uh, convinced me thoroughly as a young dispensationalist, we're not going to give up that the ultimate purpose for God's design of the universe is that doxology. We're going to hold on to that. We're going to hold on to doctrine. We're not going to trade it off for a quote-unquote redemption. We love redemption, but redemption is just one out of many ways that doxology is fulfilled. So 
as dispensationalists, we're holding on to that. That's, a, that's part of our that's part of our heritage. We're going to hold on to that. But I, I just want to I want to encourage us both as fundamentalists and dispensationalists to recognize. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be an acceptable degree of diversity, and uh, I, I think that that's. And I know that it requires care, and uh, and so that's and so that's uh, that's very much just an introduction. Okay, now the introduction is. No, we have 39 minutes left to do the rest. Okay. Notice page one, a fundamentalist. Here's a definition. Here's Joel's definition of fundamentalism. A fundamentalist is an evangelical who is militant for the gospel and is committed to the orthodox teachings of Scripture that the historic church in consensus has identified as essential for Christianity. A fundamentalist will stand against those who distort the faith. Those who act this way act like a fundamentalist, even though they don't like the name. So uh, so what we're saying is the historic church, well, those, uh, you know, orthodoxy captured by the creeds, as well as captured by the five solas. Over 2,000 years, the historic church has said, hey, this is what the scriptures teachings on the imperatives of what it means to be a fundamentalist. Now, I hear some guys say, well, all of God's truth is a fundamental. So, yeah. If, if, if everything is a fundamental, nothing is a fundamental. So it, it doesn't work that way. There are those things which are uh, are imperative for the faith. Notice page two. We're going to just kind of go page by page here. Uh, so that so page one, the thing I wanted. Oh, there's a really fun. Okay, starting. Go back to page one. I love these quotes. It is a mistake. Curse of Lake says, uh, I love this quote. This is from the fundamentalist modernist controversy. It is a mistake often made by the educated person who happens to have but a little knowledge of historical theology to suppose that fundamentalism is a new and strange form of thought. It is nothing of the kind. It is the survival of a theology which was once universally held by all Christians. The fundamentalist may be wrong, I think he is, but it is we who have departed from the tradition not he, and I am sorry for the fate of anyone who tries to argue uh, with a fundamentalist based on authority. The Bible and the corpus theologicum of the church is on the fundamentalist side. Like Marsden, fundamentalism was always a subset of the larger revivalist movement. That's right. As such, it is always involved in an ambivalent attitude towards American culture. Uh, like, none of us care that, what's her name is here? I don't, what's her name? Taylor Swift. Okay. Well, maybe she's this fast-running gal. So, page two: fundamentalism and me. Opening parable: a volleyball and an ice pick. I actually thought about uh, entitling the book "A Volleyball and an Ice Pick." The writer has a fascination with the history of battleships. Wikipedia notes that in 1982, Falkland Islands War, due to a lack of communication. Between the Army and the Navy, the destroyer HMS Cardiff shot down a British helicopter, killing four British soldiers. That's called friendly fire, right? Uh, notice next paragraph. When the pride of the British Navy, the HMS Hood, was sunk by the Bismarck in May of 1941, the British Admiralty threw everything it could to keep the Bismarck from causing havoc in the North Atlantic. 82 years ago, by the way. The Allies dispatched an aircraft carrier, two battleships, a battlecruiser, two heavy cruisers, one light cruiser, and eight destroyers, made up of both British and Polish ships. 
The initial blow from the British was not from one of the massive guns on warship. Three torpedoes dropped from a 90-per-hour ancient and obsolete squadron of swordfish biplanes. They called that, they called that airplane string bag. Okay. So good old string bag launched torpedoes in... Yeah, launched from the Ark Royal, hit and jammed the Bismarck's rudder. It meant that the Bismarck, for the rest of the battle, had to essentially uh, sail in like a large circle. And uh, so and so eventually they, they sunk, right? But imagine if in the middle of that battle, King George V, which was a battleship, shooting its massive guns, one of the Polish destroyers, supposedly a friend of the fight, pulled up next to the British warship and started firing at it with its little five-inch guns. Okay? This is exactly what is happening in today's fight between the theological descendants of evangelical fundamentalism. Instead of combining efforts with type A, B, and C fundamentalism against the real enemies of the cross, progressive Christianity, new atheism, radical feminism, to name three, Conservative fundamentalists and evangelicals burn up more ink and effort shooting at each other over issues that are worthy of discussion but are not worthy of distraction. Many of today's type C fundamentalists are doing battle royal with components of contemporary unbelief. Instead of being joined by more militant fundamentalists, they are harassed because of the differences over second, third level disagreements. So the writer, last paragraph, the, the writer, page two, the writer really wants to give this work the title, The Volleyball, The Ice Pick. Ice Pick. The writer sees himself like the protagonist of the movie Castaway. In the story, FedEx employee Chuck Nolan makes his way off the deserted incarceration by way of a homemade raft. In the writer's version, he takes his raft up to and his friend, Deacon Wilson, as he makes his way up to the Polish destroyer shouting to... Shooting at King George V, the writer, disgusted with the friendly fire, takes out his ice pick and starts whacking at the Polish destroyer, saying, stop it, you're shooting the wrong enemy. And so um, my own background, so I, I see one of the things that's really motivating me is, of course there will be times when type ABC fundamentalists are going to talk to each other, but in, this, in, the, in the large fight for the gospel, in the fight for our culture, why not work together? Uh, why not uh, join? Let's not see where areas where we can encourage and help one another and not just always be against each other. My own background as it relates to fundamentalism, my father's roots were IFCA, page 3, and GARB. Not long after my father passed, our family found Dad's uh, dedication certificate from Fillion Gospel Fundamental Church. By the time I was added to the Tetra family, my, my father had studied at Bob Jones. Dad, over the years, would be a pioneer in the Christian school movement, eventually taking over the president and later chancellor of International Baptist College and Seminary. This after nearly 20 years in Christian school education and administration. After Dad's initial training at BJ, our family ministered within the context of groups like the Baptist Bible Fellowship, the Fundamental Baptist Fellowship, and as a side note, I've studied at five different schools. All of them were fundamentalist schools, and I'm very thankful for my heritage. My connection with Roland McCune is not insignificant. Uh, I was impacted deeply by Roland McCune at, at Detroit Theological Seminary. Uh, Roland McCune and almost all of my professors graduated with THDs from Grace Seminary. 
So when I when we graduated at Detroit, we talked about at the bottom of the diploma at the Detroit Seminary in small print, Detroit Seminary, a satellite school of Grace Seminary, Winona Lake, Indiana. Uh, but we didn't do that. But that's what was kind of yeah. But McCune was impacted, page four, by Alvin McLean. McLean in his undergraduate years had been impacted by R.A. Torrey at Biola. McLean's work, Law and Grace, aided the writer in understanding of basic dispensationalism in his theological understanding of Scripture and the Church. McCune was deeply impacted by Clearwaters at Fourth Baptist Church, the Minnesota Baptist Association. Clearwaters was a strong and firm fundamentalist separatist. Clearwaters was impacted by Riley, who was technically not a separatist. Riley stayed in the Northern Baptist Convention, contending for the faith. And uh, he, he left, Riley left the last year of his life out of the NBC. And uh, when Clearwater left the fundamental, when, Clear, when Clearwaters left the Northern Baptist Convention, he said that his pension became a heave offering uh, to the throne of God. He gave up his pension uh, when he left the uh, Northern Baptist Convention. <clears throat> Uh, if you would, notice page 5. Uh, notice page 5. Fundamentalism and its commitment to unity and separation. So there's really kind of five parts to my study. Part 1 is fundamentalism and me. Fundamentalism and me. Part 2 is fundamentalism, its commitment to unity and separation. Part 3, fundamentalism past. Part 4, fundamentalism present. That's the type ABC. And then part 5, which I've done nothing here, which is uh, fundamentalism in its future. <clears throat> Fundamentalism has had a commitment, has had a, uh, there's been an attempt to have a commitment to unity and separation. So this is essentially, okay, uh, notice because fundamentalism has so keyed on separation, page five, because it's so keyed on separation in large part due to a reaction against ecumenicalism, its Achilles heel is that it starts off with separation and then arrives at unity. While there's an element of truth, and that approach, because of the etymology of holiness and separation, it's not enough to start off with separation. Unity in Christ and unity in the body must be a foundation to the Christian experience before a commitment to separation. Okay. Notice, uh, so then, what is a biblical doctrine of unity? Notice page 5. The standard of unity of believer is found in the unity of the Godhead. I'm not sure what fundamentalists and evangelicals think that make it otherwise. Consider... John 17, Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 12. This should not result in a demand of some kind of false ecumenicalism, which rolls over the gospel and biblical orthodoxy in an attempt at some kind of pseudo-unity. However, these and other verses demonstrate that unity between the saved reflect the unity of the Trinity. This is especially true with a church or a denomination. So what do we have, based on Ephesians 4, what do we have in common? Notice bottom of page 5. We have a common family. That's one body, right? One, notice we have a common force, one spirit. Look at page 6. We have a common future. That's one hope. We have a common focus, one Lord. A common faith, a common faith, one faith. A common formation, one baptism. A common father, one father. We've got a lot in common. We have a lot in common. Yep. We, we too often assume uh, 
we all, we, okay, well, I think that, that's enough there. Notice the doctrine of separation. The doctrine of separation, bottom of page 6, connects the character of God with his and our holiness. God, of course, is holy, meaning he is separate. As one considers the variety of Greek and Hebrew terms which speaks the holiness of God, it becomes clear that a major focus of holiness is the separateness of God. Among other theological corollaries is the idea of God as transcendent. Another aspect of God's holiness suggests God is blameless and pure in regard to the evil of the universe. Holiness is a significant presence of the character of God. Some, some theologians believe God's holiness is his chief characteristic. Uh, we get that from Isaiah 6, holy, 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 and some other passages as well. So the doctrine of separation, how does that show up in the life of the believer and the churchman? Well, number one, bottom of page 6. There's a commitment to personal separation. You can read that. Look at the top of page 7. A commitment to ecclesiastical separation. Well, how, what, how then do we merge unity with separation? Notice, if you will, uh, bottom of page 7 and uh, top of page 8. Tony, could you give me a water? Yeah, that would be great. Notice we have kind of five different levels here. Number one, non-fellowship. Non-fellowship. It's the, it, uh, non-fellowship is only toward the non-believer. This does not mean we cannot develop real friendship with the lost. And relational-based evangelism is, thank you, is biblical. But we don't have koinonia with non-believers, right? Scripture is clear on that. Notice two. <clears throat> Number two, baseline fellowship. This is fellowship that I have with any born-again brother and sister in Christ, no matter what their denominational distinctive might be. Some call this coffee cup level of fellowship. This commitment was seen universally and demonstrated by the use of a holy kiss back in the ancient church. This commitment was seen universally. Okay, it was a common Christian greeting that was used between believer and other believer. I mean, you've got a whole host of verses, right? So here we have baseline, baseline fellowship. Notice number three, right-hand fellowship. This is the fellowship that is a healthy and results in co-encouragement, accountability, and ministry. This is the kind of spirit that should dominate in a local assembly, church-to-church cooperation, and leader-to-leader camaraderie. That's what we have in the IFCA. We should have this. This should be demonstrated in the IFCA. We have enough in common. By the way, uh, remember at the beginning I was talking about difference, different dispensationalist hold different. I don't know if you know this, but there's a whole slice of dispensationalism which would disagree with our taking communion as an IFCA last night. Right? You know that. Yeah, there's a whole slice of dispensationalism that would say, yeah, communion is given to the local church. We ain't a local church. Why are we having communion? Well, part of my big tent fundamentalism includes the ability in the IFCA for us to have communion together. It demonstrates this idea of right-hand fellowship. So it doesn't, it doesn't offend me at all. But you know. Yet what we would say in the IFCA is that if you're a dispensationalist, you, you, you come to our group and you don't believe in that, then by all means, you don't have to partake in communion. There's no pressure. You could actually abstain and that would be fine. It actually would be committed if you believe that. Okay, number four, limited fellowship. This is not the same as below where we break normal fellowship because of ongoing sin. The fellowship here is beyond baseline, but short 
of right hand because of a difference in either belief or practice. This is represented well by the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. They continued to love each other. They could have some connection, but simply could no longer minister together in an ongoing sense because of the nature of their disagreement. By the way, it's possible, it's possible to have limited fellowship with a brother leader as far as a local church ministry is concerned, but have right-hand fellowship in an association of minister-to-minister relationship. Another way of saying that is, there might be guys in the IFCA that I can have IFCA fellowship with. We wouldn't be in the same church. We love each other, but philosophically and methodology is so different, we, it, would just not, it would not be possible for us to minister in the same church. It doesn't mean that we hate each other. We love each other. But there, the differences are such that we just we can't, we can't have ministry together in that context. But then number five, broken fellowship. Notice page eight. Number five. Broken fellowship is broken because of a continued of sin patterns, but is not the same as non-fellowship. Even in the case of a disobedient brother in 2 Thessalonians 3, we treat him as a brother, not as the enemy. Even when there is discipline and disassociation because of unrepentance, one does not shun him, like we're not Amish, right? So we, shunning is not, you know that, shunning is not a biblical, that's Amish, that's not Bible. So we don't, we don't, you don't shun, you can't, that's, that's not, that's, like that's not okay. And so, um, so shunning, yeah, we don't shun with a kind of holy hatred. We will not open our arms with the same level of fellowship that we, we could otherwise do, but we do converse with them when appropriate. Notice, so the conclusion here, the challenge for the Christian leader is that there will be times he must distance himself from a, this is important, like this is probably one of the highlights of what I'm giving you this morning. The challenge for the Christian leader is that there will be times he must distance himself from a careless evangelical who has fallen into ecumenical compromise. There will be at the same time occasions when aggressive fundamentalists must be separated from because they are unbiblically divisive. Both of that is happening at the same time, right? In both cases, a brother who is ecumenical to our left and a brother who is schismatic to our right are both disobedient. And as such, we are instructed to have no company with him that he may be ashamed, yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Okay. Fundamentalism in its past. Okay, let me just, I'm going to just read a few highlights here. And uh, notice bottom of page 8, I think this is good. In a real sense, fundamentalism in its best forms over the last century have just continued the long string of Christ followers who have followed the Lordship of Christ. Peter Waldo, the Waldensians, John Wycliffe, John Huss, Martin Luther, Miles Coverdale. By the way, William Tyndale started the Bible, Coverdale finished it. Tyndale, he, that was 80% of the King James was from Tyndale. And uh, they strangled Tyndale. Coverdale lived to be an old man, but uh, Tyndale was strangled and he died for his, uh, for his work, his commitment to Christ. John Calvin... Zwingli, John Knox, sometimes Reformation was aided by something like Henry VIII. His flap with Pope Clement VII was used of God to launch the Anglican Church. 
This aided the work of John Knox in Scotland, which was used of God in the establishment of Presbyterianism. There would be Anabaptists like Minnow Simons. I love the I love the Anabaptists. Well, there were two different. Okay, some of the Minnow, some of the Anabaptists were godly. Some of them were cultic. So we're we just kind of want to stick with the not cultic type. Okay, and then top of page nine. Um, notice a, a massive topic in the history halfway through. Oh man, I got to Okay, go up to the very top, page nine, second paragraph. I have to read this. The spirit of those, those reformers would be reborn in the form of Puritanism. Its reach would include just uh, not just the old world, but the new world, New England, out of Puritanism. The pilgrims would be birthed. They would come over in the Mayflower. Uh, you had thousands and thousands who migrated from a Puritan philosophy of staying in the church to those who would come out of the church, right? So early Baptists like Roger Williams... Uh, you had the Moravians. So you have a whole list of those that followed in the footsteps of those reformers. A massive topic, uh, last paragraph, page 9. A massive topic in the history of fundamentalism is the Great Awakening. In a large way, fundamentalism carries the spirit and torch of the kind of revivalism in colonial America prior to the Revolutionary War. Uh, I think one out of every three in the third in the early 17th century American adults made a profession of faith in the Great Awakening. That's remarkable. One in three came to faith as a result of the Great Awakening in the American colonies. So there was a split. Uh, the rest of that paragraph is the split between the old lights and the new lights. Top of page 10. Prior to the Great Awakening... Prior to the Great Awakening, most colonial church goers were Congregational, Puritan, or Quaker. The revivalists were taking place. The revivals were taking place primarily with the Methodists, Baptists, and Presbyterians. Uh, we're going to have to skip some things here. Sorry. Go to page eleven, if you would. Top of page 11. The Civil War and World War I killed many of the theological liberal ideas of the goodness of man, right along with a generation or two of men. Including with this, the emphasis of knowing your Bible came to the forefront. Sunday school came up in the middle of the Industrial Revolution. You know that. Spurgeon became a massive influence in Great Britain. Significant triggers to the fundamentalist modernist war that greeted the 20th century, especially with then Baptists and Presbyterians, would include Darwin, Marxism, humanism, liberal higher criticism out of Germany, the Scopes Monkey Trial, the publishing of the Fundamentals, the impact of the Great Awakenings, the explosion of premillennialism and dispensationalism, and the impact of pietism. So pietism mixed in with revivalism is extremely significant to the fundamentalist movement. That's huge. And so uh, these were all uh, contributing factors. Um, notice, uh, I'm, I'm right below that, the writer would suggest that modern fundamentalism grew out of the Bible conference era in conjunction with Bible Institute, Bible Institute movement. Some of the early names associated with fundamentalism was Moody, uh, Schofield, Tory Shields, Billy Sunday, W.B. Riley, Machen, Gabeline, Dr. Bob Jones Sr., 
Many of these men were noted in the prophecy Bible conferences of the day, Niagara and Winona Lake, to name two. Some of the early fundamentalist institutions were Moody, Gordon, Practical, Northwest, our own Brooks, 1909, Biola, Northern, Philadelphia School of the Bible, Omaha Bible Institute, that's Faith Baptist Bible College today, yeah. Dallas Theological Seminary and Bob, Bob Jones College. Um, notice bottom, bottom page 11. Fundamentalists were conservative leaders who, in the words of Curtis Lee Laws, did battle royal for the fundamentals. Okay. Uh, notice fundamentalism and present. I've already kind of given you an, over, uh, an overshot of this. Notice I talk about type A, page 12, uh, type B, page 13. And then notice the little, and then page 14 is type C. Uh, types, actually, type C is page 15. Notice the little graph, top of page 15. Four unbiblical expressions of faith common to ecclesiastical separation. What happens when you emphasize holiness? What happens when you emphasize holiness without doctrine, unity, or liberty? Well, you end up with lifestyle legalism, right? Many of the type A fundamentalists struggle with this one. In type A plus fundamentalists. Holiness, but they don't, they don't emphasize doctrine, liberty, or unity. What happens if you emphasize doctrine, but you don't emphasize holiness, unity, or liberty? Well, you end up with theological legalism. That's the extreme to the upper right. Notice the bottom left. What happens when you emphasize unity at the expense of holiness, doctrine, and liberty? Well, that's theological naivete. And then, what happens if you emphasize liberty, bottom right quadrant, without holiness, unity, and doctrine? Lifestyle licentiousness. I can do whatever I want. I have Christian liberty. Oh, that's, that's just revolting, right? When I see that, I'm, in, I'm inclined to go back to type A fundamentalism. And uh, I, it's, just, uh, it's just really harsh to see that. Okay, so page 16, I haven't, I haven't given you anything on page 16, fundamentalism and the future. But then on page 16, I talk about fundamentalism, and I'm going to close with this just because we're giving you the, the Cliff Notes version of this. The last, the fighting, uh, fights over the last hundred years within fundamentalism. Mo this is primarily within fundamentalism. Some of this is without fundamentalism. The first fight is between fundamentalists and liberals, or neo-orthodox. I've given you quite a bit there, and 100% uh, of that fight was as it should have been. The second fight, page 17. The second was the Presbyterian wing of fundamentalism clashed and split several times over a variety of issues, sometimes suing each other in ecclesiastical court. The fights within the Presbyterian were, uh, were varied. George Dollar notes two significant fights resulting in two different splits. One fight resulted in the birthing of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and in time the Bible Presbyterians. That's Machen. Machen's a big name in Presbyterian fundamentalism. He was at Princeton from 1906 to 29. He formed Westminster in 1929. He and his mother funded a quarter of, the, of what needed to be funded at Westminster for until he died, which he died young. I think he was 55 or 56. Yeah. And um, it was sad. Um, I think he died of influenza. I mean, it, like, 
If he would have just had, what do you call it, antibiotics, he would have lived. That's sad. Anyway, uh, he, yeah, so he, uh, in 1933, he created the Independent Board for Presbyterian Foreign Missions. How many of you had Machen's New Testament Greek text in seminary? Okay, I did. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's just amazing what he did. The IFCA, IFCA is connected to the second split off. It was primarily Presbyterians in congregations that were pr- largely involved in the creation of the IFCA uh, in the 1930s. And so that's remarkable. Um, thirdly, there was a fight with New Evangelicalism. I've written quite a bit there. New Evangelicalism was a disaster. Um, so new evangelicalism was essentially evangelicals that were saying instead of being separated, we're going to infiltrate. It was just a disaster. So I'm not a fan. Not a fan of new evangelicalism. Um, let's see, page 18. Fourth, there was a fight uh, in the Northern Baptist Convention between when it became the CBA. There was a fight between hardcore and softcore in time. The hardcore left and became essentially the Fundamental Baptist Fellowship, and uh, a lot of the several of the schools that I was connected with was was formerly hardcore conservative Baptist. So that's Central Seminary, San Francisco Baptist Theological Seminary, the Michigan Association I was a part of. They had a camp. They have a camp called Kobiak. Yep. Come, believe, accept. CBA. And it's, it goes, it traces to the roots of the CBA in Michigan. And so uh, you had uh, men like uh, Ed Nelson and uh, Clearwater and Cedar Home, and uh, this brother right up here knows about the Pillsbury Maranatha thing. Uh, the Maranatha people called the birthing of Maranatha a miracle. Pillsbury called it Grand Theft Auto. And so that, uh, that's kind of a funny thing. Uh, notice fifth, there was a fight in the a fundamentalism between the King James people and those that are not King James. Uh, this is where you have the development of what I call type A plus fundamentalism with Jack Hiles. Uh, it's also the Sword of the Lord gang, Curtis Hudson, uh, very much a uh, primarily out of the South. It's a King James, uh, a hyper revivalist uh, kind of an emphasis. Number six, there were various clashes between groups and inside groups. Uh, I remember when I was at Detroit Seminary, there were two factions in the IFBAM, the Independent Fundamental Baptist Association of Michigan. There was a lot of us that went to Detroit Seminary. We're more Calvinistic in in our makeup. We were in the IFBAM, and then there was a group that was not Calvinistic, and we were in the same group. That made for a very interesting uh, doctrinal organization. Anytime you had, uh, what do you call them, um, people being, well, ordinations, when the, when the councils would come together, you had one group that was very much not Calvinist, Calvinistic and another group that was, and uh, that was something else to watch. And then seventh, there was uh, fights that took place in the Minnesota Baptist Association that was legendary. So there were internal fights. We in the IFCA, we lost Ohio, the Ohio Bible Fellowship, uh, Ashbrook and those guys said that we were new evangelical, which we weren't. But they accused us of being, so they, they peeled off. They started their own group. It's, uh, I think the Ohio Bible Fellowship now has a world uh, association of three churches uh, because they left the IFCA. 
And then we so it then also eventually uh, in the IFCA we saw much of New England. They they kind of started their own group. They became uh, they became the let's see what did they become? They became the Independent Fundamental Bible Conference, and that was the New England area. Many of our IFCA guys pulled out of that, pulled out of the IFCA, started their own group. And then 1990, our friends in the Guard had a split off. There was the Independent Baptist Fellowship of North America. So we have all these split offs. There's a whole host of those that kind of take place kind of in the same era. Notice page 20. Uh, there was a fight between the FBF and Jerry Falwell. They called them pseudo-fundamentalists. And so as David, uh, I quoted uh, David Dietz, he gave that in his sermon. He talked about, I don't know, 400 plus uh, resolutions that they made, and so many of them were against the, the BBF. So much so that in that era, I think the FBF stood for Fundamentalist Bashing Falwell. That's what, that's what the FBF became. Ninth, in the 1970s and 80s, the Southern Baptist world was wrestled back to the conservatives. Uh, tenth, the John, MacArthur, uh, the John MacArthur fights in the 1990s, the 1980s and the 1990s. John MacArthur, uh, you know, became known for his discussion on lordship salvation, elder polity, the meaning of the blood of Christ. There were all kinds of fights over those issues. We in the IFCA, we dealt with that, right? Because I think in the IFCA, we had, in those days, we had plenty that were probably uh, the Hodge position, <clears throat> absolutely free. He wrote the book. So you had free grace. Then you had, you had the Ryrie position. Well, yeah, the Ryrie position, so greatest salvation. And you had the lordship salvation. So you had three camps. And then with each, within each camp, you probably had two or three little subgroups in each group. So, man, it was crazy. There was all kinds of infighting and discussions over that. And then number 11, 15 years ago, when I first wrote this, uh, there, was, there were many of us that were part of a blog discussion on young fundamentalism, and a lot of that was traced back to the writings of Doug McLaughlin, who wrote a book, um, uh, Reclaiming Authentic Fundamentalism. Twelfth, most recently, the Reformed Baptist uh, group. Reformed Baptists have been split right down the middle over the last five years. The Reformed Baptists are splitting over the doctrine of the impassibility of God. And so there's a major fight within the Reformed Baptist world, which is primarily, I'm not sure how to categorize them. They're their own group. They're at like type A, B, and C. They're all of that. And then 13th, uh, there's been, uh, type C world has been split down the middle. Or actually, the type C world has fragmented in all kinds of little subgroups over all things social justice, COVID vaccine, politics, woke, biblical justice versus social justice. And when John Piper refused to endorse Donald Trump, you thought that he was inviting the Antichrist uh, because he would not endorse Donald Trump. So that so type C fundamentalism has really shattered over the last many years. And then lastly, just recently, there has been the flap at Bob Jones University. So there you go. And uh, we finished with uh, five minutes to spare so, um, I know that was a fire hose. Thanks for enduring that. And I really appreciate you doing that. Any comments or questions? I'd like to hear. Yeah, fire away. Do you think it would be helpful to have kind of a broad chart with your definition of A, B, and C? A chart? 
Yeah, just, just as a quick, because someone coming into all this oh. might be very confused oh, yeah. about what constitutes your destiny. I love it. I love the idea of a chart. That's a great idea. I like idea. charts. Yeah. Charts are nice. The chart is good. My wife likes that. She loves that idea. My wife likes charts. So It means that there'll be a chart in this book. Once you make the chart... Those last twelve things you talked about yeah. keeps the chart changing. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, it has to be. It has, it has to, to be broad very enough. Broad yeah. Because, yeah. So I'll pay good. Gary. Gary will come up with a chart. <laughs> Gary, Gary, user. Yeah. Good. Any other questions, thoughts, observations? Yeah. Having lived through thirty plus years of this. Yeah. A lot of it very discouraging. <laughs> sure. Um, I have friends all over the place in what you're talking about. Yeah. I started out when I left confessional Lutheranism. I started out in the IFCA. Wow. And uh, here I am still in the IFCA. I feel like I've kind of been on the same straight line and watching all this crazy. Yeah. And I'm not sure a whole lot of positive has come from some of the energy. Oh, but, oh yeah. Good um, point. I think the IFCA over this time has, in my humble opinion, from a distance for much of it, has become more in line or more compatible or more friendly towards the maybe the type A minus. Yeah, I agree. We have. Yeah, we have. Yeah, the type A minus are exhausted because they, they don't they're the type A minus position, and I know that was the position I was before I'm a B. I'm probably a B plus now. I, I, so it depends on, I'm so schizophrenic on this, I admit it. I probably need therapy. Uh, so the deal is, um, it dep- on, on some issues, I'm like a B minus. But like on, uh, you know, like uh, the whole thing with like, the type C's and their ability to be just non-discerning about the world. They're just un, a non-critical attitude towards the rock and roll culture and modesty issues. And where is your head, sister and brother? There's nothing in that world that, there's nothing in the world that, that offers Christ, Christian people, anything of value. And so I very much am on the A minus B plus side as it relates to that. Uh, some of the separation issues and some of the issues that uh, theological and philosophical fights. I'm not afraid. I'm not. I mean, uh, sure, I understand that we have differences, but I, I, so I'm with you. I, I think that you're right. I think we 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 have a friendly disposition towards, like you say, A minus. Yeah. So yeah. By the way, and when I meet people. And you just need to know this. When I meet you, I like I am not thinking, oh, okay, this guy here, he's a B plus, and this guy over here, he's an A minus. I like that never crosses my when I meet brothers in the Lord's work, I never I'm never giving you a score because I don't that's that's between you and the Lord. Uh, you know, we're we're united in Christ. We got time for maybe one or two more. Any other questions, thoughts? I really appreciate all of this, Joel. Thank you. And uh clarifying, clarifying. For a lot of us have ambiguously been for a long time. Just, yeah. You know, for I'm Baptist fundamentalist. You know, R.V. Clearwaters yeah. told me one time, I'm glad I have three generations of Reemsmas fighting against modernism, which he included me when I was at Pillsbury. He didn't know me, but uh, my yeah. dad was at, on the board of Central for years. 
been through all those things. So your dad lived a lot of this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. he told me all this, and we had fundamentalism class. So he saw the fights between the old men in Minnesota? Yeah, yeah, he did. And he eventually left the central for, for well, I won't say quite tough. But the point being is yeah. uh, I drifted for 20 years. I just said, I, I've had enough of this. Fighting. So, I, yeah, and all this fracturing and all this and all that. And, and uh, truth be known, uh, I just had enough that, but I realized I, I, I needed I needed fellowship in the bigger picture. Yeah. And that's when I met Dietz. And, uh, you yeah. know, just, uh, uh, you know, when they started talking in my ear, I told them, well, I'm a loner. Have you ever considered the IFCA? Well, back in the day, you know, IFCA wasn't F enough for us. Oh, yeah. You bunch of compromisers. Uh, yeah, that's a truth. Well, and, and yet, and yet... I didn't come from the, what what Deeds was talking about yeah. know, on Thursday night. Yeah. So uh, the other night, uh, Wednesday night. So yeah. Yeah. I just want to say I'm 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 happy to be here. It's kind of where I've always been, and I appreciate the. Yeah, I I, I really think it it goes with. I, I think we need to emphasize it. Uh, we understand there's a different there's a major difference between Type A plus fundamentalism and Type A fundamentalism. They are not the same. The A plus, the Hiles, the, the Jack Hiles, the King James only, the Gothard, the shiny people, Gothard, scary people, whatever. I mean that versus like uh, the the kind of Type A fundamentalism I grew up was very balanced, and I I mean they they took separation probably further than they should, and there were some other things, but I mean it was much what I grew up in was much more balanced than the King James only Gothard hyper fundy pastoral dictatorship wacko stuff and uh, so I'm, I'm very thankful for the wing of type A fundamentalism I grew up in the thing I just disagree with them is that when I look at type C evangelical well type C fundamentalists who are who are uh, you know uh, who are militant evangelicals that are true on the gospel they're not going to be guilty of ecumenicalism we can have some ministry connection with them they are not the enemy and so that makes me different than much of the type A world, which one makes them out to be the enemy. And so that's probably uh, the biggest thing that shoved me over. So anything else? Any other comments? Yeah. Um, part of the passion and emphasis for this is probably uh, my upbringing. I went from an unsaved family all the way to pendulum type A plus. And um, when I met Joel... I started getting, well, at Bible College, I started getting some good theological training. Most of our day and night was about theology. Uh, we sat and we argued and we searched the Bible and we searched the scriptures. And um, it's, it's been a hard deal with my family. It's much better now. Um, but, you know, that that has really been too different some of the fighting and some of the um, yep. disagreements. She married a rebel. She did. I was black sheep. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I could be wrong, but you need to be discerning or evaluate some of these um, internal strifes or divisions within organizations. Yeah. Uh, the one that's facing SBC right now sure. is, I think, a very legitimate struggle. Oh, absolutely. And to, to see that what's happening there is really... Uh, doctrinal, biblical issue. It is. Yeah. It's not a cultural issue. No, right. And we ought to be the Southern Baptist friends. When they're taking a stand, 
for righteousness, we ought to be their cheerleaders. Commend them. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, so here's something else we need to remember is just because a group was evangelical and even new evangelical, when they began to find their backbone in Scripture and they began to move to the right, we should not say, well, they're not where we're at, so we're not going to be... What is that? I mean, it took, the, it took the Fundamental Baptist Fellowship 50 years to figure out that they needed to leave the Northern Baptist Convention. So when you see some, you see some United Methodist groups and they're starting to say, hey, you know what, we've got to stand with the Bible on marriage... We don't boo them. We no. congratulate them. Right. Yeah. And so I, I think that's just very important. I appreciated what you said on that. Yeah. Yeah. We're now four minutes over. Any other? <laughs> Let the record show I ended on time. <laughs> any, other, any other comments before we go? Yeah, brother. I just thank you for what you shared. I lived through a lot of that. My father lived through a lot of that, like yours did. Yeah. Um, I'm waiting to hear they see the end of the book. Yeah, yeah. I got another 30 pages to write. So, Good deal. Dad, you want to close us in prayer? Thank you for today. Thank you for the Lord, that we can find common ground to the gospel. Lord, we pray for Joel as he continues to write this over the next few months that you just give him wisdom. And Lord, that you just give each one of the safe travels as we return to our destinations. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody.